but the sermon title this morning is uh, Two to Grow On. I'm sure you all have had a birthday spanking or have given a birthday spanking. And at the end of that spanking, for the number of years, we always give that one to grow on. You know, just that good luck. Hey, here's this one thing that we hope you have a good, uh, good upcoming year. And boy, I thought all week, I was like, man, how can I give a good spiritual spanking this week? You know, didn't really find a way to be able to do that. But the concept is the same. These two to grow on are two things. As we think about, we've been reading through this book, Radical, by David Platt. And this week was a challenge to make God's word a central part of our life, to recognize what a valuable gift it is that we have been given from God. And for us, as God's children, uh, to be serious about reading and studying and learning about God's word, and most importantly, obeying his word in our lives. And so as I thought about that, uh, you know, being that, that radical abandonment to Christ, there are two things that I want to share with you this morning, which are absolutely essential uh, for you to be the person that God would desire for you to be as one of his children, for you to live your life in total, total abandonment to him. These are two things that will uh, empower you to do that. And without these two things, you will never be able to uh, be fully surrendered and experience all that Christ desires and wants for you in your spiritual journey. Now, when you came in, you probably noticed and said, okay, what's he up to today? All this stuff up here on the front of the stage. You know, I set some things up. Well, these are some things that I brought in that I want to... uh, Uh, give you some object lessons, some pictures to help kind of sink today's truth in. These are images that I hope that you'll take away, which will remind you about the importance of cultivating a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Because that is our church's mission statement. We, We are here to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. My heart's desire is that every person who is a member and part of this body of believers will learn how to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And these things will help give us some pictures about that. But I want to make a quick distinction and clarification. The first is this, remember and know up front that we do not work for, nor do we work to keep our salvation. We don't work for our salvation, nor do we work to keep our salvation. In fact, the exact opposite is true. God has done everything necessary to provide a way of salvation for us, that we can be forgiven of our sins and become his children, uh, that that we are kept secure in Christ. The Bible says that uh, we're held in the palm of God's hand. God does all that work. We don't work to earn or to keep our salvation. However, spiritual growth growing to maturity in our salvation and the fullness of life that Christ has called us to, it does take some work and some time and some effort on our part to experience the fullness of a growing relationship that Christ desires for us. And that's the idea behind these four things. And I'll walk you through these quickly. You really don't need me to explain them. I think once you see, I'll just give you a quick foundation and you'll go, oh yeah, we understand that. This is obviously planting a seed. These are seeds right here. You take a seed, you put it in the soil, you begin to water it and the the seed grows, right? Our task is planting and the watering. If we want to, uh, we may add fertilizer to give extra nutrients to the soil. We'll provide maybe watch care over a plant by, by pulling weeds away that are taking the nutrients from the plant. We protect it from insects. We'll protect it from the elements, whether they be heat elements or, or winter time. You know, we do that sort of stuff. We also, to provide the best health and growth and the best fruit, we will prune. We'll take the dead branches or some smaller branches, cut those away so that there are more nutrients to go and to help the fruit grow bigger and stronger. So you understand this concept of growth 
sowing something. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. God's word planted within us, that we plant it, that we water it through prayer and through submission to his word helps the fruit of the spirit grow in our life. And we have to protect it through weeds and things that, that choke out and try to distract us from God's word. Uh, we have to prune sometimes in our lives, cut away things that are keeping us from bearing fruit for Christ's kingdom. But that's kind of an example, just a picture of spiritual growth. This is a house. Now, obviously, it's a model house, but houses, unlike seeds, don't grow themselves. You dig a big hole, put a bunch of lumber, wiring, nails, and this kind of stuff in it, people are going to look at you like you lost your mind. So I'm trying to grow a house. That's how I grow a seed. I'm going to grow a house. And that doesn't work that way. You have to build a house. You start with the foundation, uh, and then you take and you go step by step building off of that foundation with the infrastructure, the things that go on the inside, and the blueprints down here give you step by step instructions of what goes in, what stays out, and where it should go as you put it in. Obviously, in our lives, the foundation is Jesus Christ, and God's Word is that which teaches us the things to build into, the things that should be uh, in our lives uh, as a spiritual house or a spiritual building for God. Uh, And so we follow that instruction as given to us in God's Word. Over here, we have uh, an example of parenting, of rearing children. You know, children are born, and they are dependent upon us for everything as infants. You feed them, you bathe them, you, you, you put their clothes on and pick them out. They depend on us for everything as a child. But if that child is healthy and normal, then what happens? They begin to grow, right? Now, do you continue doing everything for them? Okay, maybe that's a bad question. <laughs> Those of your parents go, oh, it feels like I'm still doing everything. But theoretically, we are supposed to train and teach our children, right, to feed themselves, to dress themselves, and then beyond those things for themselves, uh, we teach them how to function uh, as, as, you know, independent adults and how to make wise decisions. And so we do that by our modeling. They, they watch our example. We teach them and give them instruction. Sometimes we discipline to teach them things they should and should not do, but that's all part of the parenting process. But the goal of, of parenting is to raise independent, you know, strong adults who can function on their own. Spiritually, the Bible says we are babes in Christ. We are infants who begin to crave, Paul says, pure spiritual milk, but who should grow to the meat of the word, of God's word. And as grown spiritual adults, what should we be doing? We should be leading other people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ where they begin to grow, mature, to where they become spiritual adults who do what? Who then lead other people to Christ. That's what Jesus taught us to do in scriptures, to reproduce and to make disciples. So parenting. And over here we have on display our New Year's resolution right? This of exercise. And we understand to get the benefit of exercise, you've got to take, uh, you've got to put time and effort and energy into it to experience the benefit of it. Without exercise and doing nothing, what happens to our hearts and to our joints and to our muscles and our blood pressures and our blood sugars and all those things? Well, they deteriorate, do they not? And this may come as a newsflash to some of you, but just watching someone participate in physical activity does not give you the benefit of that physical activity, all right? So the playoff games today, you don't think of yourself as an NFL athlete just because you watch both games this afternoon, tonight. You, you have to engage just like in our spiritual life. How many of you have exercise equipment that's collecting dust somewhere around your house? 
What is your doctor going to say? You, you go to your doctor and, and tell him that it's sitting out in the garage or sitting in the closet collecting dust. He's going to say, what benefit is that to you? You get no benefit from it. And people say, well, you know, I've got a Bible and I've got it on my phone and I've got, you know, all these different books in my library. You know, I've got great resources. We live in a resource and information age. There's more information about Christianity and how to grow in Christ and, and what that looks like than at any other time in the history of mankind. Yet we are some of the most biblically illiterate, some of the, the, the weakest, uh, most ignorant people of what God has called us to in his word. Because having things doesn't give you the benefit unless you open them, read them, study them, and then begin to apply them in your life. And so we have these pictures here of spiritual growth. And so I hope that you'll kind of remember those things and think about that when it comes to recognizing that if we are going to live our lives radically abandoned for Jesus Christ, it's going to take some work and some effort on our our part. And I want to talk to you today about two things that, that are essential. These are non-negotiable components for us as followers of Jesus Christ to build into our lives if we're going to grow to the fullness and experience all the fullness and the promised blessings that Jesus desires for his children. Those two things are Bible study and prayer. Bible study and prayer, two to grow on, you need those two things as a foundation. They are fundamental parts of your life if you want to have a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll say if you're not willing to put in the, the time and the effort and the hard work necessary in Bible study and in prayer, you will never experience the fullness of what God desires and has in store for you. It's just not going to happen. Now, these things are easy to understand. They're very easy to understand. They are not easy to do. If they were easy to do, everybody would be doing them. They're easy to understand, but difficult to put into practice. You know, and I kind of liken it to somebody saying, you know what, I, I want to be an NBA basketball player, but I really don't want to go to the gym and it kind of hurts my head and that basketball's bouncing all the time. That noise just drives me nuts. So I, I don't want to learn how to dribble and I really don't like running. So I don't want to run. I just want to stand on the court and shoot shots, make millions of dollars and have adoring fans who follow me everywhere I go. That's my NBA basketball dream. Say, so, hey, well, sign me up for that one. But you know what? It's never going to happen. If you don't learn to dribble and run and participate in the whole game, you're not going to have that career. You've got to put the time in on the fundamentals of that game. Just as growing spiritually, we must spend time practicing the fundamentals of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in Matthew chapter 4, we see one of these fleshed out in Jesus' life. And this isn't the only place. I mean, the whole New Testament, or the, the Gospels in particular of Jesus' life, show him living his life in surrendered submission to the authority and the truths of God's Word. But in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is being tempted by Satan. And Satan comes to him in verse 3, it says, And said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, this is Jesus, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus said physical appetite is not what's most important, spiritual appetite and a hunger for God's word. That's more important than anything else in life, even uh, feeding our, our physical bodies. Uh, in, in the next section there, Satan goes and he sets a temptation before Jesus, a uh, temptation of power. He told Jesus to throw himself off of the temple and then Satan quoted scripture. 
Church, you need to understand this. Satan is familiar. Satan knows God's word. And he will speak and he will try to use God's word. But you need to know this. Anytime Satan is trying to whisper and utilize God's word, it is distorted. It is twisted. He is trying to use it out of context and in a way to lead you away from obedience to God, not into obedience to God's will and God's plan for your life. Understand that. Satan has a great awareness and will use this as a tool to set a temptation before us. And so Satan says, uh, you know, God said he will protect you if you just throw yourself from the temple. But look at what Jesus said in verse 7. Again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So Satan then takes him for his third temptation and he shows him the kingdoms of the world and says, all of these can be yours. I will give you dominion and authority over all of these things if you will just simply worship me instead of worshiping God. And in verse 10, it says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. One of the most important things that we can do, and it it is the heart of this morning's challenge for us, church, is to commit to reading and studying and allowing God to speak to us through his word, the Bible. We need to make a serious and strong commitment to studying and reading on a regular basis God's word and asking God to speak to us through his word and then helping give us the strength to obey and put into practice what we learn from God's word the Bible. And the question we have to answer, and and the thing with this radical study is it causes us to ask on a personal level. And so it's for you uh, in, in your level, as you look at the demands and the commands of Christ to answer, as we think about the centrality of God's word in Jesus' life, to say, how central is it in my life? You must ask yourself, is the word of God in the people of God enough to accomplish God's purposes in the world? Think about that question. Is the word of God in the people of God enough to accomplish God's purposes in the world? If we say yes, yes it is, then we need to ask ourselves, how are we rearranging our lives? How are we prioritizing God's word to get into our life so we can know and understand and obey it so God can accomplish his purposes through his word? In Matthew 4, Jesus was confronted with temptations that are common to man. We still face the heart of the temptations that Jesus faced when Satan came to try and deter him. We think about following Christ with radical abandonment. Satan is going to try and distract us and keep us from doing that. And he does it in three very common ways. First, it was with the the temptation toward the flesh. Jesus had been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights when Satan comes and says, I know you're hungry. I know you're powerful. So turn these stones into bread because you've got to be starving. Does Satan still tempt people today in the flesh with our physical appetites? And I'm not meaning hunger, physical appetites, but, but lust of the flesh and for power. Yes, Satan still tempts us in our flesh today. Now, I'll come back and I'll elaborate on this more, but but it's all too easy for us today to justify and rationalize giving into the temptations and following after the temptations of the flesh that Satan sets before us. But it's still a common temptation that we face today to distract us from God's will. The second temptation was for power. Jesus, or Satan tried to tempt Jesus to show the world that he was someone unique, 
that he was someone special and powerful, that he could jump and avoid physical injury because God would rescue him and save him and protect him. You know, the lie that Satan whispers to us from that is that God wants us to be safe. God wants us to be protected and God wants us to be cared for. That's the lie he wants us to believe. That's the lie that many Americans, particularly uh, in American churches today, believers in American churches, it's a lie that we bought into. But here's the question. If God's will is for us to be safe, secure, and protected, and that's his will for us, how do you explain the life of Jesus? Think about that. If that's God's will for us to be safe, secure, protected, as Satan sets a temptation in front of him, was Jesus in the will of God? Was he obedient to God's plan, God's call, and God's purpose for his life? We say, obviously, yes, he was. Well, where did God's will take Jesus? To the cross. And it wasn't a nice, clean, smooth, wood-hewn cross with lacquer and, you know, nice finish on it. And the beating and the scourging that, that Jesus took, friends, that wasn't with a feather duster. All right, it was painful, horrifically painful, more painful than we can ever imagine. And we say, wait a second, if God's call is for safety and security, how do we explain Jesus' life? Because he must have been out of God's will because, man, God really didn't protect and watch over him and, and, and keep him safe. How, how, did, how do we compute that? Well, we compute it by realizing what Jesus demonstrates for us. That the blessings and the rewards of following God's will, regardless of what it takes us to and through, the blessings and the rewards of following God's will far outweigh any suffering, any sacrifice, any persecutions we may experience in this life. That's what Jesus demonstrates. I would rather be in God's will and endure horrific physical earthly pain than to step outside of God's will And be rescued from that because the reward and the blessing is so much greater than anything we may give up or endure in our time on this planet. We've got to understand that. But Satan is still setting that temptation before us today uh, of power and and, and of security and saying, oh, you just need to be comfortable. You need to take it easy. That's what God wants for you. He's blessing you in this way. And friends, he's distorting God's word and he's distorting the truth of God's call for his children today. Well, the final temptation that Satan set before Jesus was that of authority. He offered him dominion uh, in the world today. If he would bow down to worship Satan instead of worshiping God. Well, the thing about that is Satan didn't have the authority to give away in the first place. And that's what happens when we allow idolatry or functional idolatry, when we put things in our life that should be in the spot where God needs to be. Anytime we put something other than God as top priority and as the Lord and the controller of our life, then we're going to experience less than what God has designed because nothing has the authority to give us and to bring all that God has promised in our lives. And I put it this way. Imagine you're a multi-billionaire and you're out driving one day and you see this gas station on the corner and you go, hey, I like that gas station. I think it fits into my long-term business plan. There's a lot of traffic and I bet it makes a lot of money. So I'm going to go in and I want to buy this gas station. So you go in and you see the clerk who's working there that day and you say, you know what? I really like this gas station. I think it can make me a lot of money. Will you sell me this gas station for $5 million? 
And that very alert clerk looks at you and says, absolutely. Here, here's how you spell my name. See right here, Curtis Barnes with an E on the S. Be happy to, to take that $5 million check for you. You know, probably the issue with that is going to be that clerk doesn't have the authority to sell you the gas station. All right. And Satan didn't have the authority to give Jesus dominion and control over the world because Satan doesn't have dominion and control ultimately over the world. But these are the temptations that Satan sets before us. But what I want you to see from this is what Jesus used to counter those temptations. What did he do in each instance? He said, it is written. He went back to God's word. Jesus used God's word to counter the temptations of Satan. And church, I'll tell you, there is absolutely positively no greater tool or resource for believers to live out the demands and commands of Jesus Christ than the Bible, God's word. You will find nothing more powerful, more potent to keep you focused and surrendered to what God has called you to today. Satan is still tempting people with the same temptations that he set before Jesus. And today people are succumbing to them in droves. We're giving in day in and day out uh, in mass to that. And you say, well, why is that the case? I think a huge part of it is because we don't understand the power of God's word and we don't give ourselves to the study, to the understanding standing and the obedience to God's word. Jesus knew how important it was. I think many of us, we would say theoretically, we see how important it is, but our actions flesh out that we don't think it's very important at all because we, we make no effort, put no energy whatsoever into seeking out and seeking to know God through the power of his word. Now, I know that hearing these two things today may kind of sound anticlimactic to some. People this week have been, oh, man, it was a great week last week. And this, oh, just the, the challenges of what Christ wants us to do and, you know, wrestling with all that. They're, you know, people fired up saying, man, this is great. I want to live totally sold out to Jesus. You know, let's go. We're, we're going to storm hell with a water pistol. You know, let, let, let's go and, and let's do it. And they come back and say, okay, what do we do first? And I say, read your Bible and pray. And they go, really? That's... It's real simple. I, I, I've done that before, and, and really it wasn't as energizing as maybe you're kind of describing it. it is there something else that may be, you know, a little more, uh, a little more jazzy that, that we can do? And I say, no, there's not. There's not. If we are going to live our lives in radical abandonment to Jesus Christ, if we are going to uh, know his commands and demands, we've got to get into the word of God. It's got to be central in our lives. Now, I want to share with you the, the other component of this is that of prayer. Just, just as you, and I'm going to challenge you this morning to give yourself to the regular reading and studying and obedience to God's word, I challenge you to make a similar commitment to prayer, a commitment to be people who prayed. If Jesus showed us anything about how to have a growing relationship with God, he showed us we need God's word and we need prayer. Look over with me at Luke chapter 5. I told you to turn here earlier. Luke chapter 5 where we see just one, one example, and I, I gave you others, I printed in your note sheet there. Jesus was a man of prayer. He was a man who gave himself to prayer. He prayed all night. He prayed before uh, some of the most uh, powerful miracles in his ministry. Jesus committed himself on a regular and consistent 
basis to prayer and communion with the Father. And in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, Luke writes, But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Now, most people, if there's a great crowd that's coming and people are following, we want to be with the crowds, and we'll be doing you know, the signs and the wonders and you know giving them what they want because they're clamoring for more, more, more. But I want you to see what Luke says Jesus did, not just in this instance, but as a regular practice in his life. It says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, if this had been a one-time instance, Luke would have probably written, but he withdrew to, desolate, to a desolate place and prayed in a singular instance. But notice how Luke phrases this. And if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to underline this verse to see that this is a pattern. This is a regular practice in Jesus' life to say, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. And Jesus often took the disciples and did the same thing. What Jesus demonstrates for us is that, that he didn't play to the crowd. He sought intimacy with God. Jesus didn't play to the crowd. He sought intimacy with God. Now, in the book, uh, Radical, David Platt gives two challenges in the chapter, the last chapter of the book called The Radical Experiment, where he challenges us to take some of the things that we see uh, from, from the life of Christ and some of the things the Bible teaches us and put them into practice. And I want us to, to follow through those. And rather than wait till the end to go through the radical experiment, I'm asking you to read sections of that as we go through that correspond with the topics I'm preaching on. And in the back of the book, the first two challenges he give, I, I set to you this morning for uh, commitments for you to make as you try and submit your life uh, to walking in obedience to Christ. The first was that we would pray around the world. And he gave us the, the there's a, a website called Operation World where you can utilize the prayer guides to pray uh, for people, groups, and nations around the world. And I certainly encourage you to do that. But I kind of opened up that whole challenge to be, you know, let's not just pray around the world and for, for other nations, but let's just develop a greater prayer life as a whole. Let, let's be people of prayer for all things, for our life, for, for things here, but also praying around the world. And do you know how you get a stronger prayer life? By praying. That's exactly right. You, you get a stronger prayer life by praying, not by reading books and studying prayer. It's great to do that as helps and enhancements, but you're only going to grow stronger prayer muscles by actually praying. You know, we only get stronger exercising muscles by actually exercising. So we need to spend that time in prayer with God. And I kind of like it. And I tell people, you know, in some ways, prayer, uh, getting stronger and growing in prayer is like public speaking. You don't become a better public speaker by reading about being a better public speaker, you get better by actually doing that. You know, you, you read things that may sharpen, but you're, that putting it into practice and developing those skills is how you go stronger. So I want to challenge us in this area of prayer. But the second uh, commitment that he asks us to make is to read through the entire word. He challenges us as God's uh, people to read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And, and he, he says do that in a year, and that's fine if you want to try to do it in a year. No, no issues with that as long as we're getting in and we're studying God's Word. But here, here's the thing that I would kind of maybe caution you on with that is don't get so locked in on a goal and a time frame that you're just kind of reading through stuff and not letting God speak to you and not seeking opportunities to obey. You will not lose a, crown in, a, a jewel in your crown when you get to heaven if it takes you 15 months instead of 12 to read through the Bible, okay? So I, I've seen people that kind of get in some of these programs and these 
these goals and they don't make it, make it and they kind of give up. You know, they feel defeated because they're not being where they feel like they need to be. So, uh, you know, j- just uh, take your time in that because the goal isn't completing the challenge on time. It's hearing from God and obeying and responding to God as he speaks to you as you read through the Bible. Now, in this area with these, these commitments, I, I want to kind of let you in. This may be the, the trade secret. This may be the, kiss, the missing ingredient. And actually, sometimes I think it is the missing ingredient for believers being faithful in these two things uh, that we just so often don't follow through. But I'm asking you to make this third commitment to help you with these first two. And that commitment is this. Find and submit yourself to an accountability partner. Find and submit yourself to an accountability partner. You know, I put a, a, a sheet of paper in your bulletin this morning with some tips and some pointers, if you will, uh, just some helps and resources on cultivating a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. But find a person that as you pray through and say, hey, you know, these are some things that I want to begin doing in my life who can encourage you, who can pray for you, who can sometimes give you a, a gentle rebuke or, or a, a gentle nudge in following through with these commitments that you're making today, first and foremost, to Jesus Christ. Now, one thought on this is I generally uh, discourage people from having that accountability partner be their spouse, okay? Uh, I just, if you need someone to admonish and kind of rebuke and, and, and speak some truth into your life, it may not always be best to have your spouse be that person. You know, you, you don't want your wife saying, well, I knew you couldn't pick your socks up out of the floor. I knew you weren't going to read your Bible every day, you know, you big bum. So, you know, it just, it may create a little more dissonance than, than, than you want in that. So I always try to encourage to, to get someone outside of the marriage relationship if you're married to do that. Uh, but you can take that for what it's worth. But you have the planning sheet in there, and I just encourage you and your, your accountability partner to call one another. Hey, what are you reading? You know, what's God saying to you through that? What are you learning this week? What are you praying for? How can I pray for you? What prayers is God answering? To develop that relationship, to encourage uh, and motivate one another toward the things that God may speak to your heart about, that God may, may move you to, to do because you need to do them to cultivate a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. And finally, from the sheet that's in there, I, as I think about just this getting into God's word and prayer, two key elements. And what I'm driving at with the accountability partner is you've got to have a plan. Don't just say, yeah, I want to grow spiritually. Good. You want to grow spiritually. How are you going to do that? I don't know. Have a plan. You know, I put on that sheet that's in there. He who fails to plan plans to fail. And he who aims at nothing hits it every time. So what is your plan? I want to grow spiritually. Well, how are you going to do that? What's your Bible reading plan? Do you want to read through in a year? Do you want to read it chronologically? Do you want to read a chapter a day in journal? What is your plan? The plan doesn't matter, but what matters is that you have a plan and that you stick to it. The second thing that I encourage you in is to have realistic goals. Have realistic goals. I've seen too many people in my nearly 20 years of ministry who, who get excited and are energized about pursuing Christ through, through the Bible, through uh, the practice of spiritual disciplines, and they've been nowhere in growing with Christ, and they begin to try to do all these things, and they do great for a week or two weeks, maybe even a month, but over time, life happens, and, and, and things kind of creep their way in, and they begin to slip in those commitments, and they just don't follow through. They, they, they feel shame, ashamed that they've, you know, given up in this journey. They feel like they're not good enough and that they, they let God down by not doing these things. So be realistic, set some goals that, that will stretch you, but at the same time that, that are realistic. And as you meet those goals and you can, can continue to grow from there. So I encourage you in that. 
But, but hear me again when I say this. You will never, and I cannot say it strongly enough, church, you will never experience the satisfaction and the fulfillment that Christ promises when we live in radical abandonment to him without regularly and consistently practicing these two fundamental spiritual disciplines. They were hallmarks. They were a key part of Christ's life, God's word and time and prayer. And we should never expect or think for a second that we will be able to experience any more than what Christ set an example for us if we don't give ourselves to God's word and to prayer. But what you'll find as you make this commitment and follow through is that you will find that he is sufficient in every way. You will find that God is sufficient in every way.